If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We'll jump around a little bit, but we'll start there. Pretty incredible week of VBS, huh, folks? And uh, and Forest Home uh, coming up today. They leave today. And then uh, Haiti, we will pray for our Haiti team at the end of this service. Uh, this is a, an incredible week, really, for Coast Bible Church. So we're just leaning on the Lord uh, for what He has done at VBS and what He will do today and this week at Forest Home and then what He will do again next week as we uh, send a team to Haiti uh, this Saturday. Looking back on uh, the past week of VBS, uh, it brought to mind uh, just an important topic, of course, that, that we usually like to discuss uh, uh, now and then at Coast Bible Church, and that is the subject of children. And we've been in a series uh, entitled The Rest of Life Resurrected, in which we've asked the question, how can we look at everyday elements of life through resurrected eyes? And among the many things that are every day that are in front of our eyes all the time, I think that children rise up on that list perhaps more than anything else. We are always, always, always around children. And as we consider this series, which its, its purpose is to take those things that we see and do and interact with on an everyday basis and resurrect it through the eyes of Jesus, the, the topic of children really becomes an important one. Now, some people might think these elements are mundane or, or kind of useless or meaningless, but Ben Witherington has a quote. We've read it before. I wanted to read it again. It's on your outline. He says, what about the rest of the normal life of a Christian? The concern of this series has been the normal weekly events in the normal Christian life. Things like work, rest, play, worship, spending, studying, eating, relating. The thing that has struck me in doing this series is how little serious theological and ethical reflection has been given to what some might call mundane existence. But it is not the job of the church to baptize the status quo of normal life and call it good. It is not our job to merely hallow the ordinary. No, it is our task to follow Paul and other New Testament writers and have an extraordinary perspective on the ordinary, a kingdom perspective. I'm struck by the words mundane existence. Because you see, when, when people consider children... Not everyone, but when many people in society, cultures around the world, and civilizations down through the centuries, when many of them consider children, they consider them to be mundane, to be trivial, to be kind of meaningless. It happens all the time, folks. Our society is often very, very dismissive of the blessing of children. I think of the grumpy old man at the marketplace watching a poor young mom struggle to shop for groceries with three children hanging off of her cart. He looks upon her and says, looks like you've got your hands full. Maybe having three wasn't such a good idea. True story, by the way. 
Our society is often very dismissive of the blessing of children. I think of, uh, of a pious and a proper woman in church, uh, an older woman, so pious, so proper, so respectful that church is, is merely and only a sacred and respectful and obedient place. Frustrated that woman is that the occasional noises of the children behind her are interrupting her ability to sing the hymns. And so she turns around with a piercing look in her eyes. Can you please be quiet? Our society is often very dismissive of children. And I even think of two parents, the father aimlessly, aimlessly perusing the news and sports on his laptop. The mother checking her phone aimlessly for the latest text or social media update. Neither parent having had any meaningful contact with their children for the entire afternoon. Young and old, elderly, parent alike, our society is often very dismissive of children. And then, ironically, we wonder as we dismiss them, dismiss them, dismiss them. Ironically, we then wonder, why are our children so misbehaved? Why are they so out of control? Jesus had an exceedingly, exceedingly severe warning to those who despise and neglect children, to those who, by their indifferent attitude or by their harshness, provoke children to sin. Some selections from Matthew 18, verse 6. Jesus says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Jumping over to verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And jumping down to verse 14. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Severe warnings, folks. Very severe warnings, as a matter of fact. cause a child to sin, Jesus says it'd be better if you tied a millstone around your neck and were drowned in the ocean. But not just that. Notice the words despise them. Look at verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise. That means be negative toward, be critical of, be unnecessarily harsh or severe toward Verse 10, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Why? For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. By the way, as an aside, you wonder where the theology of guardian angels started? This is one such place. It's actually biblical. <laughs> that angels watch over us. That angels watch over children. Herein, Jesus describes that very thing. But that's besides our point. Jesus is simply saying, look, you cause them to sin, or even lesser than that, if you despise them, if you neglect them, if you overlook them, if you're indifferent toward them, if you look upon them and have a dismissive attitude, like let's move on to better things, 
If that is your disposition toward children, Jesus says you have a problem. You have a problem. If that is your attitude or behavior toward children. And we interact with children every day, don't we? In our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our church, in grocery stores, on the road as they skateboard right in front of you. We interact with children every moment of every day. And the question before us is simply this. How can we look upon children through resurrected eyes? How can we avoid the cultural tendency to be dismissive of kids? How can we instead see children as Jesus sees them? How can we instead interact with children as the Lord would have us do? And so I want to bring up today just four points, four simple points that can help us along in our desire to resurrect our view of children. And I've listed them there on your outline. Uh, They're highlighted uh, in a little bit of a light gray color there. Number one, resurrecting our view of children. If you're taking some notes, and I encourage you to. Number one, remember that you were a child. You were a child too, not so long ago. And remember how you were, write this word down, treated. Remember that you were a child too, not so long ago. And remember how you were treated. Now this is not, this point here is the only point without a, a scriptural undergirding, but nevertheless I find it to be an extremely biblical and, and I think a, a point that Jesus would make in his own discussion of how to treat children. This is important, folks, because as you evoke memories of your childhood, some of you will recall memories that were joyful and happy, and others of you will recall, recall memories that were unpleasant and even painful. But God can use both kinds of memories for His purposes. In fact, God always can use both kinds of upbringings for his purpose. Whether you had a happy and joyful upbringing, whether you had a painful and maybe you've even felt neglected in your upbringing, God can use that as you now resurrect your view of children. If your childhood was joyful and happy, you then have motivation through the love and care of your parents and grandparents and those who who gave you a good childhood. You have motivation to give the children around you that same experience. And that is so important, that we cultivate an environment where our children are loved and cared for. And if we experience that as a child, then then you know the motivation and the goodness that comes from such an upbringing. By contrast, if your childhood was painful or, or unpleasant, then you too have an opportunity to use that for good. Because you see all the things that, that you, all the ways in which you were neglected, all the ways in which you were hurt, all the ways in which you experienced pain in your childhood, that can serve as your motivation to change the way you treat children, to change the way your home, your, your, your wife, your husband, your family is going to treat children going forward, to change the culture of treating the treatment of children in the, in the world. 
You can use that experience as motivation to say, I will not give to these children what I experienced in my childhood. I will give them love and grace. You see, folks, the first step in resurrecting our view of children is that when you see a child, let it evoke memories of your childhood. Put yourself in their shoes again. And therein you can find the motivation that's needed to treat them with love, with kindness, with grace, with long-suffering. Remember that you were a child. Remember how you were treated. Number two on your outline, earnestly, this is important, earnestly seek to learn from children. Earnestly seek to learn from children. Jesus said that the keys to salvation and greatness in the kingdom are bound up in the humility and meekness of a child. One more time, earnestly seek to learn from children. For Jesus said that the keys to salvation and greatness in the kingdom are bound up in the humility and meekness of a child. This is what Jesus said earlier in Matthew 18. Jump back to verse 1. It says, at that time, this is Matthew narrating, at that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child. He called a little child to him and set him in their midst. And he said, verse 3, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, converted, and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. The disciples are arguing about greatness. We, we often, we, we do this. We argue about greatness. We don't always have a, a, a physical conversation about it with others, but we think in our minds, how can I be great? How can I be recognized? How can I make myself stand out? You know, uh, the, the, the website, what is it? LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn. If you've never been on that website, LinkedIn is a professional website where everybody, uh, all these professionals go onto this website, they throw in all their accolades, all their awards, all their professional history, they have all these endorsements, all of these skills that they're good at, and, and they invite other people, here, will you endorse me? Will you tell me what I'm good at? Will you show me how great I am? It's just, it's an exercise in, in incredible futility, really. I mean, it's helpful. Don't get me wrong. We, we need to make connections. We need to network. It, it's understandable. It's a, it's a common thing as we go out into the workforce and try to get a good job. Of course, we need to be well-networked. But the philosophy behind this website is just to make yourself look as, as lofty and as great as you possibly can to others. We think about greatness. Jesus says, okay. You think about greatness. Here's what's great in my eyes. This child. He points at a child. He points at a little child and says, this child, this child is your key to greatness. This child holds the keys, first of all, to your salvation. In the sense that unless you are converted, unless you change your heart and mind and look upon Jesus Christ with childlike faith and trust, Jesus says unless you are converted like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. It takes childlike trust, 
faith in Christ that opens up your arms and says, I'm helpless, Lord. You are my Savior. I cannot save myself. It takes the humility and the helplessness of a child to trust Christ for our eternal destiny. In, the, in, 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 the, in children, in looking upon children, we see some keys to understanding what salvation is all about. And not only entering the kingdom of God, but becoming great in the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, verse 4, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility, not, not pride. Meekness, not greatness. Not greatness in our own eyes. The kingdom of God was made for children. Also on the back side of your outline, Mark chapter 10. Then they brought little children to him that he, excuse me, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. Write down, underline that word displeased. He, the, the, that the people were bringing Jesus the children and the disciples were saying, keep them away. And Jesus was angry about this. He was upset about this, displeased about it. He said, no, let the little children come to me and don't forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Of such, that is to say, the nature of the kingdom. Of such is the kingdom of God. The nature of the kingdom was designed, it was crafted, it was created in such a way that it would not only include, but especially recognize those who come into here as children. Those who enter these gates, so to speak, through the eyes of a child, with the faith of a child, with the meekness and humility of a child. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, he put his hands on them, and he blessed them. There's a resurrected view of children. And by the way, in a day and an age when what, what the disciples were doing, get away, get away, get away, pushing the children back, pushing the parents back, such a cultural norm in that day and age. It's like, children, come on. Our, our teacher doesn't have time for children. <laughs> We're with Jesus here. You know, t- put, take the children off and away. This is the time for adults, for adult men and women. This is adult time. Not so in Jesus' mind. Some of the best use of his time was spent with children. Number three, to have a resurrected view of children. Look for and affirm the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in children. Tell the children and their parents how you see God at work in them. Again, look for and affirm the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in children. Tell the children and their parents how you see God at work in them. Acts 2, verses 38 and 39, Peter 
preaching an infamous sermon before all of Israel. And this is what he says. They ask him, what should we do, Peter? How can we receive the forgiveness of sins? And how can we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is what they're particularly uh, inquiring about in verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you, here's the promise, and you shall receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit, and then notice the next verse, for this promise, for the promise, is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. The people, they were cut to the heart. They were were penetrated by what they had done to Jesus, and they called out and said, what can we do? And he said, repent, be baptized, and you'll receive the promised Holy Spirit. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit which we all receive by faith in Jesus Christ. And he says that 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 gift, the gift of the Spirit, is for you and it's for your children and for all who are afar off. I think oftentimes we get the notion that that the Holy Spirit is not at work in children. You know, that, that, well, they're, they're a child and they don't quite understand things yet and so we gotta kinda prolong things. You know, some churches... Uh, uh, deliberately tell children that they, they can't come forward at an altar call, so to speak, or, or they, that if a, a five-year-old comes up and, and tells the church that they're a Christian or if their parents come forward and say, you know, my child's a Christian and I want, they want to be baptized, some churches will put restrictions on, on how old they need to be. Or, oh, no, you've got to wait till you're 12 or, or wait till you're 15. Or, no, they surely couldn't be saved at this point in their life. They're far too young. Peter here speaks a little differently, doesn't he? He says, quite simply, that if a child can understand who Jesus is, if a child can turn turn to Christ in faith, turn away from his or her sin, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, Peter says, look, who are we to negate what God is doing in the life of that child? The Holy Spirit is at work among children. And we as a community need to affirm it, see it, look for it, and validate it. Tell the child when you see the Spirit working in them. Tell their parents. What an encouragement to parents when a parent hears how their child is growing in their faith, growing, growing up spiritually, maturing in the fruit of the Spirit and in Christ-likeness. It is such an encouragement to hear these things. So look for it in the life of these children. And fourth and finally, welcome childlike interruptions. Welcome childlike interruptions, knowing that it is more important for children to heartily participate in all aspects of the church than for them to merely be silent observers. Welcome interruptions. In Matthew chapter 21 uh, verse 14, there's a, there's a wonderful story here of Jesus interacting, uh, Jesus interacting with the, the, the adults of the day, the religious leaders. And he had just driven out uh, the men who were making a mockery of the temple. They were selling things in the temple area and Jesus threw them out and was very upset with them. And he calls out in, uh, in verse, verse 14 of chapter 21, it says, Then the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple, and he healed them. Verse 15. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did 
And when they saw the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they became indignant and said to Jesus, Do you hear what these, these children, are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. A quote from the psalmist in Psalm 8. Do you hear what they're saying, Jesus? They're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, the Son of God, Son of David. The Pharisees were indignant. They were incensed that children would be calling out, crying out, really interrupting what the Pharisees wanted to do in the temple area. The Pharisees were the kings of the temple area. They were the teachers. They were the the rabbis. They were the leaders. And here Jesus was entering into the scene, interrupting their effort. And not only was Jesus interrupting it, but the, 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 the lame and the blind and the children were calling out and the Pharisees were like, enough of this nonsense. Enough of this. Do you hear what they're saying, Jesus? Jesus says, yep. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. You being the Lord. Lord, you have perfected praise. Great and mighty words come out of your creation, God, through the mouths of babes and infants and not through the mouths of these well-refined adult Pharisees. Jesus welcomed the interruptions, the crying out, Hosanna, Son of David. This last week, uh, a couple weeks back, I think it was now, uh, Cassie, uh, one of our uh, children's team leaders, uh, sent me a notice about a church that um, had a a little card in their pew, kind of like where your um, envelopes are. Uh, They had a card in the pew that uh, had a note about children, and I wanted to read it to you. I thought it was very apropos. This is what this one church had to say about children. It says this, To the parents of our young children, on a little card, to the parents of our young children, may we suggest, relax. God put the wiggle in children. But don't feel you have to suppress it in God's house. All are welcome. Sit toward the front where it is easier for your little ones to see and to hear what is going on. They tire of seeing the backs of other people's heads. Quietly explain the parts of the service and the actions of the pastor and the choir, etc. Sing the hymns, pray, voice the responses. Children learn how to behave in church by copying you. If you have to leave with your child, feel free to do so, but please come back. As Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Remember the way we welcome children in church directly affects the way they respond to the church, to God, and to one another. Let them know that they are at home in this house of worship. Please let your child use the reverse side of this card to draw and to doodle. And then it says to the members of our parish, 
The presence of children is a gift to the church, and they are a reminder that our parish is growing. Please welcome our children and give a smile of encouragement to their parents. That's on a little card at this uh, Catholic church. What a wonderful, wonderful way to express the value of children to not only the parents, to reaffirm that in the eyes of the parents who are there, often shushing their children, but also what a wonderful way to reinforce the value of children with all those in the church. You know, my kids, uh, sometimes I get frustrated because my kids don't always behave in church. In fact, um, I, I turn over and I see... You know, when Scott Eichler's kids are more behaved than mine, I, I get jealous of Scott. And I, I must say that he has his kids, you know, behaving quite well. They stand and they sing during the, the, the song time. My children are usually seated, and uh, they're usually doing something else. So I wanted to show you what they're doing. Uh, Bennett, this is today. Bennett is drawing pictures of God's creation. He loves dinosaurs and uh, you, you can see here all the dinosaurs. You can see a, a volcano there at the top. This is what Bennett does in church. And here's another picture that, that Bennett drew today. Again, another very scary dinosaur. I believe this is a Stegosaurus, though he would know the exact uh, root name because that's, what, that's all he knows is the names of dinosaurs. And then Mallory. Mallory also doesn't quite sing yet, but she drew a picture. And you, you may not be able to read this, but uh, that is... Bennett, and that's Mallory, and it says, I love you, Bennett. That's my daughter. This was today, and there are 10 other uh, uh, pictures like this on the pew. You know, a lot, of, um, a lot of people in church would look upon that, children drawing or coloring or, or doing something that maybe is not uh, in concert with the elements of what's happening in a service. Many people would look upon that and, and openly question uh, the value of that or openly question the parents and say, you know what, you need to get your kids in, in line. You need to get your kids in order. They need to be standing. They need to be appropriate. They need to have their hands folded. They need to sing the songs. But you know what? My son can barely read. And my daughter definitely can't read yet. And the way they express themselves right now is through drawing and through pictures. And you know what? As a father, if my kid is enamored with dinosaurs and understands that God created the dinosaurs, and as a father, if my, my daughter is in church writing, drawing pictures and writing about the love that she has for her brother, um, I would venture to say that that my wife and I aren't doing something wrong. And I would venture to say that you also, you parents, are not doing anything wrong so long as you bring your kids in here to this place and let them experience the community that is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? There's a place for being respectful. There's a place for obedience. And of course, we want those things. But these are children and they're going to misbehave sometimes. And, and guess what? Oftentimes they misbehave because we're not paying attention to them. Because we're dismissing them as a society. 
And so when you look upon this week of VBS and you ask, why did we do it? Why, why do we spend all this effort? Why do we invest all this time, 90 plus volunteers and so many, many hours of, of work? Oh, it's exhausting. The answer is really quite clear, folks. It is that Jesus deeply valued children. That he, he showed us and told us that the responsiveness of a child to the gospel is like none other, far better than adults. Here I am speaking to adults, and yet, really, if I wanted to be the most effective I could be as a, a teacher who, who got results, so to speak, who, who, who converted many, many lives, I would walk over and minister to those kids you know, right now and, and be a children's church teacher as we often encourage you all to be. It is valuable. It is important. They are responsive to the gospel, but also they teach us. You know, in closing, when Jesus thought of how to describe society, he was asked, uh, he, he was asked what he thought of the generation around him. He was asked to describe the unbelieving adult men and women of Israel, and he used two very peculiar images. First, he spoke of music. And he likened music to the gospel. He likened the playing of the flute to the gospel going out. And then second, another image that he used, and take note of the ones who were playing the music. This is a complicated one, but let's read it. Matthew 11 at the bottom of your outline. Jesus says, But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions. And by the way, let me, let me clarify. The children here, uh, it's, it's those who are hearing the children that Jesus is actually likening the generation. So here we go, one more time. But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children who are sitting in the marketplace and calling out to the companions, to the generation, and saying, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not lament Jesus goes on to say, For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, Oh, he has a demon. Let's not follow him. And then the Son of Man, Jesus, came eating and drinking. They said, Look, a glutton and a winebibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Let's discard, let's dismiss him. But wisdom is justified by her children. What Jesus is saying in this story is that the generation of his day, they looked at John the Baptist and they said, oh, he's strange. He doesn't eat, he doesn't drink. Let's, let's not listen to him. Be gone. You must have a demon or something. And then they looked upon Jesus and Jesus came eating and drinking and they said, oh, he's, he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners. Surely we can't listen to him. Surely he does not have the words of God. Surely he's not a prophet or a teacher. All the while, Jesus speaks of children playing the flute. Children playing the flute. Playing the music of the gospel. And the gospel music is going out. And these children are dancing and, and, and calling out to those around them. But the generation, the unbelieving generation, is just sitting there. Hands over their, their chest critical 
grumpy, not joyful, but rather quite antagonistic and and dull and, and desensitized to what these children are doing. And the children are dancing around and and playing the flute. The music of the gospel is going out and the generations, the people around them are just sitting there looking at them and the children are going, look, we're playing the flute and you're not dancing. We're, we're, We're mourning when there's a proper time for mourning and you're not lamenting. And then he concludes it by saying, but wisdom is justified by her children. Folks, Jesus uses the image of joyful children playing flutes, the music of the gospel, to chastise the solemnity and the callous and the indifferent hearts of adults of Jesus' generation who refused to respond to the music. This story is a story about learning from the children who teach us the gospel of Jesus Christ, who by their lives, by their joy, by their childlike faith, by their trust, by their humility, by their jubilant nature as they, as they sing songs during VBS, Jesus says, watch the children. Because the adults are sitting here looking at John the Baptist and looking at Jesus and saying, not him, not him. It's crazy kids playing music. Jesus says, no, watch the children, listen to the children. The music that they play is the music of the gospel. It arises to God's ears, and it is meant to be witnessed by us, celebrated by us, and we are to look upon these kids who play this music, and we are to learn from them and imitate them. Resurrecting a view of children That's what Jesus did, and that's what we will endeavor to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, O Lord, we do confess that often when we think of our children, we we just are completely indifferent. Lord, we, uh, we dismiss them, we neglect them. Sometimes, sadly, God, we despise them. With hands crossed, Lord, we, we look upon them and, and we, we think that they're, they're childish, <laughs> that they uh, have nothing to teach us, that it's mundane to spend time with them, that our time would be better spent with just the adults. And yet, God, time and time again in your word, you showed us your son who interacted with adults that had no clue of what was going on. No clue of how to become converted as a child. No clue how to receive greatness in the kingdom of heaven by humbling themselves as a little child. So Lord, we confess now as a community that these children, our children, are valuable. That you love them and we are to love them. That you spent time with them and so we are to spend time with them. Meaningful time, God whether they draw pictures in church, Lord, or whether they sing songs and act properly. God, whatever it is, we're grateful that they're here. We pray, God, that you raise up the next generation of children through our efforts, through the work of your Holy Spirit. God, raise them up. Let us learn from them and let us imitate them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.